Good morning, everyone, and welcome to First Things First. I'm Jenna Wolf alongside Nick Wright, Brandon Marshall, Kevin Wilds, and we come on the air this morning with significant concerns over the future of this NBA season. That after the events that took place yesterday. We have a lot to cover today and a lot to get to. Let's get started with the biggest news of this morning. The NBA and the Players Association announcing the Milwaukee Bucks decision not to play last night. That in response to the shooting of Jacob Blake by police in the Bucks' home state of Wisconsin. It sparked unity among the teams scheduled to play last night, resulting in the cancellation of all of last night's games, the entire schedule. Just a few hours later, players gathered in the bubble to discuss the best path moving forward. Sean Serrani reported that during this meeting, the players from the Lakers and Clippers voted to boycott the remainder of the playoffs. There's a lot to get to here this morning. Brandon, I want to start with you. What was your reaction to how yesterday played out? Yeah, Jenna, um, I think I should start with like the seat that I feel like I need to occupy. Making this transition from NFL player to now full-time broadcaster you know, you think about, okay, what is my identity? Who am I? What seat do I occupy? And when I thought about that, you know, a month ago when you guys gave me this opportunity, the first thing that came to mind was you have to be organic and tell the player's story always. I don't care if you're 50 years old and you're still on TV, you got to tell the player's story. So I think about the athlete and I think about how what we're seeing is counter culture to who we are. It's not in our DNA to not play. Think about all the stories that we've heard over the years since we've been covering sports, playing sports about the athlete. Football, basketball, tennis, baseball. It's my sanctuary, it's my escape. We see this in avid runners. I run to get away, to break stress. So for an athlete not to play says a lot. The very things that they have been escaping to the gym to get away from are the things that they're using the court to talk about and to highlight. It's not in our culture to not play. We've always had this mentality, this machismo mentality of whatever's happening at home, whatever's happening in our neighborhood, it doesn't matter, we play. When I think about this, I think about leadership as well. I saw Tony Sperano with the Miami Dolphins lead black and white men and women. I saw Coach Todd Bowles make the tough decision fast. I saw Pete Carroll rip up a script and start over because it wasn't working. This is not on the athlete, it's too much to bear. Why do we continue to put all the weight of the world on the athlete? This is not the athlete's responsibility. It is our responsibility to lead responsibly, but it's not our responsibility to carry this conversation. It starts with Mr. President, Donald Trump. Where are you? Where's the tweet? Why aren't you walking with us? Why aren't you standing with us? That's the beauty of professional sports. We see leadership play out every single day, the good, the bad, the ugly. It's on display no matter if you like it or, you, or if you don't. So when I think about this, this, this long-running theory of sports being a microcosm or sports being a reflection of society, I think about, well, society is broken. 
So, Jenna, it, it leads me to believe that sports should be broken, too. Nick, Brandon, what was your reaction to everything that you, happened yesterday? You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just incredibly sad. And, you know, Brandon, you just said, and I'm listen, I apologize on the front end. We're going to get through this show. I'm going to do my best. Uh, you said, what seat do you occupy? And... The, the seat I occupy is, is I'm a dad. I, I take this job incredibly seriously. I think everybody knows that. I love this job so much. But the, ultimately, what I am a representation of my family and the people I love. And listen, I'm cloaked in all the privilege one can have. A white guy, public figure, there's came from a, a, a stable background, all that. But I, I got a I got a 22 year old, six foot four inch, incredibly handsome, big, intimidating to others, black son, and a 15 year old, beautiful, black daughter who came to me yesterday in the kitchen, talking about she was riding her bike yesterday past the cops and turned and went in the other direction. And I only say that in the context of this because I just thank the NBA players for doing what they can to try to make the world a better place for all of us and for our kids and our families because what America has unfortunately shown so clearly is there is a giant segment of the population that their care or concern with black people goes as far as they are willing to entertain them. And so you have some of the most powerful black people in America withholding what many people view as their only value to America. And I, I don't know what the end game here is, but I do know that many of these guys went to bed Sunday night, as I did, with the final images we saw on our phone, was a man being shot in the back seven times. And we woke up Wednesday morning, and the first information we got was some teenage vigilante had gone and murdered a couple people in the protests. And in the meantime, what we saw on our phones was folks trying to justify both instances, justify the murder of Jacob Blake and justify the murder of the, the alleged murder that the Kyle Rittenhouse did. And it is... It is so incredibly tough to ask 20 to, you know, 20 something to 30 something year old athletes, listen, it's on you to help move America forward. But no one else is stepping up in this void. And so it falls, as it very often has, on them. And so I, I appreciate the sacrifices they're making. And I, I, I hope that 
for folks that don't have a personal connection to what's going on, they understand that for many people, this is a, a, a life and death moment and a concern for the people you love that shakes you to your core. And so I don't know if anything I said there, Wilds, made any sense, but that, that, that's, where, that's my reaction this morning. It, it did, and I appreciate you sharing, and Brandon, thank you as well. Um, I wanted to put some historical context on the events. Um, I felt a tangible sense yesterday that I was witnessing an iconic moment in sports history and in the history of this country. And a little background, in, in 1959, Elgin Baylor, other than Minneapolis Lakers, boycotted a game in West Virginia after he was told he couldn't stay at the same hotel as his white teammates. And then two years later, Casey Jones and Sam Jones, and Satch Sanders, and a 27-year-old Bill Russell refused to play in a preseason game in West Virginia after being denied service at the team hotel. Bill Russell's now 86 years old. So that, that hotel is in Kentucky, I'm sorry. Bill Russell's 86 years old. And as President Obama succinctly put it, while he's awarding him the Presidential Medal of Freedom, Bill Russell stood by Ali, he marched with King, and stood up for the rights and dignity of all men. And yesterday, Bill Russell tweeted this. I'm moved by all the NBA players for standing up for what is right. To my man, the Jet TNT, Kenny Smith, I would like to say thank you for what you did to show support for the players. I am so proud of you. Keep getting into good trouble. And simply put, if you're making Bill Russell proud and emulating the late John Lewis by getting into good trouble, that means you're on the right side of history and following in the footsteps of American icons. Here's the clip of Kenny Smith that made Bill Russell so proud. Take a listen. This is, this is tough. I mean, right now my head is like ready to explode, like just in the thoughts of what's going on. And uh, I don't know if I'm even appropriate enough to say it, what the, what the players are feeling and how they're feeling. And um, I haven't talked to any of the players. I'm just but like coming in, even like driving here and getting into, into the into the studio, hearing calls and people talking. And for me, I think the biggest thing now is to kind of, as a black man, as a former player, I think it's for, best for me to support the players and just not be here tonight. And figure out what happens after that. Yeah, I, I just don't feel equipped to be here. And I respect that. You know, I, I think all of us are handling this in different ways from the broadcast side to the athletes to fans and people watching this unfold themselves. I think, Brandon, I want to echo what you said, which is it says a lot for these players to not play. It takes a lot to unify a group of, of basketball players who all, for the most part, have different agendas to mobilize 
a social message, a powerful message in such a short period of time, which is what these athletes managed to do yesterday, to say we're going to sit out, we're going to boycott, and we are going to keep this conversation going. Again, all three games last night postponed. No word yet on what happens with tonight's schedule. We're going to take a break. Still to come, we're going to hear from the Milwaukee Bucks, find out how they came to the decision to indeed sit out last night. Among other NBA players weighing in, Trey Young tweeting this, proud to be a part of this league even more today. We want change. Our friend Ennis Cantor chimed in, we need change. Change cannot wait. And LeBron James, expletive this man, we demand change. Sick of it. Take a break. This is First Things First. For a lot of us, our home is now more than just our home. It's also a gym, a bakery, and a barber shop. And if you're a business owner or a people manager, home might also be where you do your hiring. That's where ZipRecruiter comes in. ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier because you can do it all from one convenient place. ZipRecruiter.com slash approach. No matter where you're hiring from, ZipRecruiter does the work for you. How? Well, ZipRecruiter's matching technology scans thousands of resumes and profiles to identify the most qualified people for your job. If you're really interested in a candidate, you can even invite them to apply for your job. With one click, ZipRecruiter sends them an email from you and you stand out from the competition. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, First Things First listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com approach. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash approach, A-P-P-R-O-A-C-H. ZipRecruiter.com slash approach. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Welcome back to First Things First. The Milwaukee Bucks were scheduled to take the court for game five of their first round series with the Orlando Magic yesterday afternoon when they decided to make a statement of support for what's happening in Kenosha by not playing. This prompted the NBA and the Players Association to cancel all games scheduled for yesterday. The Bucks released a statement late last night. Take a listen. We're going to place a statement as a team today and go back and continue to educate ourselves and get better awareness of what's going on. And then, you know, speak to you guys later. So we're going to come up with a statement now. Our team statement, um, the past four months have shed a light on the ongoing racial injustices facing our African-American community. Citizens around the country have used their voices and platforms to speak out against these wrongdoings. Over the last few days in our home state of Wisconsin, we've seen the horrendous video of Jacob Blake being shot in the back seven times by a police officer in Kenosha and the additional shooting of protesters. Despite the overwhelming plea for change, there has been no action. So our focus today cannot be on basketball. When we take the court and represent Milwaukee and Wisconsin, we are expected to play at a high level, give maximum effort, and hold each other accountable. We hold ourselves to that standard, and in this moment, we are demanding the same from lawmakers and law enforcement. We are calling for justice for Jacob Blake and demand the officers be held accountable. For this to occur, it is imperative for the Wisconsin State Legislature to reconvene after months of inaction and take up meaningful measures to address issues of police accountability, brutality, and criminal justice reform. We encourage all citizens to educate themselves, take peaceful and responsible action, and remember to vote on November 3rd on behalf of the Milwaukee Bucks. That is the Milwaukee Bucks 
with their statement late last night calling on the state of Wisconsin to make some significant and real change. Nick, I'll start with you. What do you make of the decision the Milwaukee Bucks uh, made to start this historic day yesterday? Yeah, I think the Bucks were, you know, oddly maybe the perfect team for it, not just because of their proximity to the tragedy in Kenosha and what's happened there in the following days, but also the first person you heard from there. When you've got Sterling Brown, by the way, the son of a man who was a police officer for 30 years, Sterling Brown, who a couple years ago goes to a Walgreens and commits the egregious crime of illegal parking, which ends in him getting tackled and tased by local police officers and not not shockingly, I mean, the police officers involved there, while they might have been disciplined internally, they of course face no criminal charges. They, it, This is very personal for many members of that basketball team. And I, I think a lot of people are asking, what do they hope to accomplish? What did they hope to accomplish? And yes, they are accomplishing that we are talking about these things, that they, the, the, a spotlight is shine even brighter on the epidemic of police violence. But when you hear that they talked to the attorney general, they called on the state legislature to return, it also reminds you not just of the power NBA players have, but the people who own these teams are some of the most powerful people in the world. And if they want to affect change, they actually can affect change. Not donate money, not symbolic gestures, but use their political clout and leverage to affect change. The owner of the magic is the DeVos family. The Secretary of Education is related to the owner there. Tillman Fertitta, the owner of the Rockets, has regular powwows with the president. Steve Ballmer and Dan Gilbert are worth a combined, as of last count, 130 billion dollars. Two of the 20 richest people in the world. The owner of the Nuggets is a Walton heir. If these, if these folks want the system to change, they are the exact people who can affect that change. And the NBA players are using the leverage they have to put the actual power brokers at a choice because ultimately we get the police force we get the society that the powers that be demand and and they are the players are demanding that the actual power in this country demand an actual change and the owners got the money the clout and the leverage to do it so i think they're trying to put the owners to a decision that's more than donating money to opening voting centers and things of that sort and see what if the owners actually are going to walk with them in this brand. Wow. I mean, all of this takes me back to 2016 when Cap took his first knee. Um, yeah. I remember feeling the pressure and the weight of the world on my shoulders and my teammates' shoulders every single day. Every time we walked in a locker room, there was some reporter, somebody on a beat asking us, what are you guys going to say this week? What are you going to do? Are you going to kneel? Are you going to put up a fist? Are you going to lock arms? And I remember feeling like this is unbelievable heavy, unbelievably heavy. 
So it takes me to the day and thinking about how this is four years later and the Bucks are taking a knee for the very same thing. Like, why are we still in this position? And to your point, nobody listened. Nick, our owners, our people in entertainment, our people in, in, in business, you need to carry this load as well. That was one of the, the thoughts that always stuck in my head in 2016 was, where are the entertainers? Why aren't they taking a knee on stage? Why did it take four years for someone on TV to walk off? We need change and we need change now. I remember just thinking, man, just in 2011 when things changed radically in my life, it was because of football. I remember going to Ricky Williams and asking Ricky, and for a lot of people don't know, I'm passionate about mental health and, you know, uh, been championing this for probably 10 years now. And I remember going to, to Ricky Williams and asking Ricky, I said, Ricky, do you think something's wrong with me? And Ricky in his amazing voice said, Brandon, no, I don't think anything's wrong with you. I just think you say the things that we all want to say but shouldn't say. And I laughed at Ricky because I'm like, he sounds, one, he's, his voice is amazing. And, and two, it's just he had a way with words. And I walked out to the practice field and I dropped four balls. And that was the very first time in my life that the football field wasn't my sanctuary. And that was the very first time in my life where I said, I need help. So for these players to be walking away from the game right now says so much because it's not in our DNA not to play. Because the field, the tennis court, the basketball court, like this is our sanctuary. So um, Jenna Wilds, this is an emotional day for me because I just feel the, that same weight from 2016 on me right now, and I think it's on all of us. You know, in front, you know we're in front of the camera, and, and we're trying to deliver a message and speak to people, um, and it's heavy. It's just extremely heavy right now. No, well, Brandon, go ahead. I, I know I speak for everybody. I think I appreciate your, your honesty and, um, and nuance, and I, I think the world does as well, so thank you. Um, Jenna, we were talking about the Bucks um, starting this and being the catalyst. I also want to um, shine a light on Doc Rivers. And we talked about it on the show. And Brandon, we talked about it. I said that's one of the most powerful post-game press conferences I I'd ever seen or it's ever in the history of sports. And wanted to bring it back and play it here today. All you do is keep hearing about fear. This is... It's amazing why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. And it's just, it's really so sad. Like I should just be a coach. And it's so often reminded of my color, you know, it's just really sad. We got to do better, uh, but we got to demand better. Like we got, you know, it's, it's funny. We protest and they send riot guards, right? Uh, they send people in riot outfits. They go to Michigan with guns and they're spitting on cops and nothing happens. 
the training has to change in the police force. The unions have to be taken down in the police force. My dad was a cop. I believe in good cops. We're not trying to defund the police and take all their money away. We're trying to get them to protect us, just like they protect everybody else. Uh, I didn't want to talk about it before the game because it's so hard. Like, just keep watching it. That video, if, if you watch that video, you don't need to be black to be outraged. You don't. You need to be American and outraged. And how dare the Republicans talk about fear? We're the ones that need to be scared. We're the ones having to talk every to every black child. What white father has to give his son a talk about being careful if you get pulled over? It's it's just ridiculous. And it just keeps getting, it keeps going. Uh, there's no charges. Brianna Taylor, no charges, nothing. All we're asking is you live up to the Constitution. Powerful words from Doc Rivers, probably some of the more powerful ones we've heard in a press conference this week. Doc, clearly affected by the emotional toll this has taken on the players and coaches as black men in America. We're going to take a break. Before we do, I want to share some images from around the sports world echoing the sentiments from the Bucks yesterday. Mets left fielder Dom Smith taking a knee during last night's national anthem. Players from MLS clubs, Inter-Miami and Atlanta United standing in solidarity and boycotting their scheduled match. And players from the WNBA's Washington Mystics spelling out Jacob Blake's name on their shirts with bullet holes colored on their backs. Powerful images out of the sports world on a very historic day. First things first. The stress of daily life weighs on all of us, whether you're an elite athlete or just a regular person trying to get through the day. Muscle pain and muscle tension, that's a real thing. That's why I use Theragun, the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And now, it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. That's because the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that's so quiet, you'll wonder if it's on. While you soothe your aching muscles with Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness. Try Theragun risk-free for 30 days, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power that you need. Starting at only $199, go to theragun.com FTF right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com FTF, theragun.com FTF. Welcome back. We want to welcome in the athletic senior NBA insider now, Shams Sharania. Shams, good morning. Thanks for getting up and being with us. We got a lot to talk to you about. I want to start with the story that you broke last night in the players' meeting. The Lakers and the Clippers players were the only ones to boy vote to boycott the rest of the season. You also reported that LeBron left that meeting abruptly. What are you hearing about how this all played out the rest of the night? 
Yeah, so in, in the lead up to the vote, you know, there was a, there were a lot of different ideas thrown around. And that's what you, you see during these player calls, during these player meetings. You know, Kyrie Irving led a movement in June. And you, you know, on that call, I was told there was a lot of different ideas that were thrown around. And, and, and guys just were not unified on one accord. And you saw a similar uh, aspect come up last night when the players held a meeting uh, together, involved the coaches at first. Um, and, and when the coaches were there, Doc Rivers, I'm told, was really speaking about voting, about how these players can really use their power, use their rights to affect change while continuing to play and do their jobs. Um, it, but once the coaches left, it was really a free for all for the players to really uh, you know, d- d- discuss and determine which route they, they'll take. And then there was a vote near the end. And I'm told out of all the teams, the Lakers and the Clippers were the only two that voted not to play for the remainder of the season, uh, you know, in the aftermath of the Jacob Blake shooting. And once that occurred, Udonis Haslam, I'm told, was one of the veteran players that spoke up. And, and part of his message was, if the Lakers and Clippers aren't playing, what else are we all doing here? And so LeBron James, I'm told, was the first guy to leave that meeting. And the Lakers and Clippers players uh, were not that far behind. Shams, you also broke the story that LeBron was pointedly calling for owners to be more involved in this movement. What are you hearing on that and the potential reaction from the true power brokers in the league in response to the most powerful player in the league? Yeah, LeBron, I'm told his message in the meeting uh, early and, and in the middle was we need to hold the owners more accountable. They are the ones who are you know, in positions of power, have the, the financial resources. And so his message was clear. But again, how they hold the owners accountable, that's what's in question. The owners um, and the MBPA agreed on a $300 million social justice fund uh, that will go toward empowerment of black, uh, of young black people. Um, and, and that is something that was announced recently. So that is an, an initiative that was not there before. So what the NBA players are doing already started to uh, pr- you know, provide change. Now, how much further can they go? Um, was LeBron referencing, you know, possibly politically uh, moving? You know, that is up in the air. It, it still remains to be seen what LeBron's exact motive, uh, you know, and, and message behind that. But he wasn't the only player, I'm told, that spoke up about wanting the owners to have more accountability. Sean, LeBron James, if, if, if we question LeBron James before and his motives, you know, like I, I, I mean, I don't know if it even matters anymore to even have this discussion, right? Like this guy was the first one to walk out of this meeting. You know, this is a guy who uh, you put up there with uh, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan chasing success, chasing rings, Tom Brady. He's in that same category for this guy to say, I'm not playing ball. How big of a decision and impact is that around the entire NBA? It's a big impact in the terms of he's obviously the face of the league. And Pat Beverly made a comment during the pandemic, you know, a couple months ago that if LeBron James says, you know, whatever he says we're doing, we're all doing. And so now you have a situation where there's a meeting and out of all the teams, every other team voted to play besides LeBron James and his Lakers and the Clippers. And so, um, you know, I, I think throughout the league and, and around 
you know, LeBron, the, the sense over the last few months has been he wants to play. He wants to get back on the floor um, as long as the environment is safe. Um, all these star players, they wanted to play. Kawhi, Giannis, um, you know, as long as the, the environment to play was safe, these guys wanted to get back on the floor. So last night was a true, you know, I, I think a stand. And, and for those two teams, obviously the two teams that are going to be competing in the Western Conference Finals, Brandon, for, for them to speak out and say, you know, we're in favor of just leaving, going home. Um, you know, it, it, it leaves the season in, in some peril now. Shams, yesterday we saw Chris Paul talk to Russell Westbrook in a hall, and it, it felt like they were exchanging some news. Can you give me a sense of today's schedule and how the meetings are, are working for today and what we can expect uh, in today's news cycle? Yeah, there, there's a board of governors call at 11 a.m., and that will be, you know, very interesting to monitor in terms of what comes out of it. Will there be a resolution? You know, I, I, I had one owner text me last night. It's up to the players. We want to come up with something that that met, that might, you know, uh, Im, impact and, and, and help alleviate any concerns they might have. But at the end of the day, it is up to the players. And so. The players at the same time will have a meeting in Orlando on campus. So you're going to have these two Sean, uh, meetings uh, at the same time. Sean, do you, do you not find it interesting that it's always up to the players? Like, why, do, why isn't the owners making a decision? Think about that. It keeps going back to the court. It keeps going back to the locker room. Owners need to make the decision, it seems like. And that may be what LeBron James is referencing. You know, it, it, when when these two teams went to China um, and that, you know, incident happened with the Daryl Morey tweet, um, you know, Adam Silver, LeBron James, uh, both the Lakers and Nets players got in a room, got in a meeting, and, and the messaging of, hey, guys, players, you guys get out there in the media, you know, talk to the reporters and explain what's going on. That was the messaging. Um, that, that that was going on at the time. And LeBron James pushed back on it back then. This was back in, I want to say October. Um, losing track of time. This is going back in October. And, and, and these guys, you know, LeBron James was adamant that we should not be the ones that go face the media. It should be, you know, the league office. It should be Adam Silver. It should be the owners. And so um, in some ways you're right. You know, players have been put in the forefront time and time again. And I think there is some action they want to see from the owners and, and again Brandon the Lakers and Clippers were in the minority in that they were the only two teams that decided you know to vote not to play so the remainder teams wanted to play and so that's what makes it so interesting is when you have two teams that are so you know in terms of the NBA's power uh, scheme right now the Lakers and Clippers are the two best teams in the Western Conference. Shams, let me ask you this. You, you've been in the bubble since day one. You've talked to the players. You're a part of the ins and outs. A lot of what happened yesterday, the boycott, is, is clearly in reaction to the Jacob Blake shooting. But I wonder how much of a sense you've gotten of the frustration, of the restlessness from these players that they wanted to do more, that maybe they felt like their voices weren't heard, and perhaps boycotting the remainder of the season is just an extension of that. How much have you heard? How much frustration has been boiling over from the players? I, th I think it all can play hand in hand. I think that, you know, guys got in the meeting last night and spoke and, and talked about how, um, you know, everything we came in this bubble for um, trying to spark change, it just has not happened. And I think it's a sense of 
um, maybe some hopelessness, you know, trying to control the uncontrollable. You know, these things, you know, there was a coach that relayed in the the meeting last night, like these changes that the players want to make takes years upon years upon years. It does not happen overnight. It took Maya more multiple years in her quest after she left the WNBA and she deserves to be applauded. Um, but if these players are, are, you know, wanting to make changes, actions like last night when the Bucks called the Attorney General of Wisconsin, those are the types of actions that can potentially spark change. But, you know, not playing, I don't know how much that can do. Where will these players go after? Are they just going to go off on their own? Um, are they really going to be out there? Uh, like Jalen Brown said, are, are you really going to be, you know, last night, did, you know, he said, are you guys really going to be out there in the trenches? Um, so th- these are all questions that are up in the air. And, and th- this is really the first time these players truly gathered in person while they were in the bubble. You know, I had a player ask me last night, why didn't we do this on night one of the bubble? There are a lot mm-hmm. of different questions still out there. Shams, two quick things, or I guess two things before you go. One is, do you think it's more likely that this season resumes or more likely that it doesn't? And then the other question would be this. I, I, I'm not at all accusing the Lakers or the Clippers of bluffing. I don't think they are in the least. But because they're in a bubble, if they can leave. Like if LeBron or Kawhi just left, they, they, they're not allowed to play for a number of days. Like that, the fact that they're still there... Does it strike you as a possibility the vote, I don't want to say was symbolic, but it was a, a, a leverage play as far as if you as the ownership don't do more than symbolic and financial gestures, if you don't press the levers of power, we are willing to leave even if right now, even though they voted to stop the season, maybe they don't actually want to stop the season. Does that make sense? Are you getting the sense of that at all? And do you think the season resumes? That was a uh, theory I definitely heard coming out of the meeting was, you know, this was a stand. This was a message sent to the owners going into this owner's call today. This was a stand sent to the league office um, prior to their meeting today. And, you know, the Lakers and Clippers were in the minority on this, right? Because every other team wanted to continue, voted to continue to play. These are the two powerhouse teams that chose not to. And even though that they are in the minority um, in terms of the voting last night, it, it, it sends a message because they are the top two teams in the Western Conference, probably the top two teams potentially in the league, along with the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference. So there's no question a message was sent. Um, uh, and, I, and that was, I mean, most likely the, the, the real outcome they wanted from this. I, I couldn't really tell you if I think the season will, will, will go on or not. I guess we'll see today. But my hope and I, I think the hope of a lot of players is still that you know they'll be able to figure something out. Um, and, and I had some players come off the call and say, listen, like the Board of Governors, they'll, they'll figure something out. They'll come with a, to us with something and we'll get this back and going in a few days. I think that is what the hope is around different players, especially the guys that want to play. And again, most players are not financially stable enough to just go a year without playing or deal with a lockout, um, potentially not play. These, these guys um, need you know, to be involved in playing and, and being in, in, in the type of return environment. Shams, have you gotten a sense from any reaction from the players that the Bucks or, or, or all of the players in the bubble are not only um, speaking for the NBA, but are catalysts for the entire sports world when we look across that the WNBA was canceled, three MLB games was canceled, five soccer games was canceled. 
Do the, do the players feel an added pressure or has there been any reaction from inside the bubble when they look at all the other cancellations in the sports world? Players understand at the end of the day in the NBA that they are the voices that drive the conversation. They are the voices in, the, in, in, the, in their faces, their presence is what will drive you know, the rest of the sport, the sports culture. You saw when the NBA shut down and Adam Silver made that decision in March for the safety of the league, the remaining leagues followed, right? You had all different types of businesses follow suit that, that March 11, March 12, those two days. And I think the players understand the power in their voice. That is one of the message the Kyrie Irving, Dwight Howard, Avery Bradley led group in June tried to you know express upon the players um, so they they understand how, how powerful their voice is. Shams, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I know you have a busy day great ahead of you. We really Shams. appreciate your time today and great insight for sure. Uh, we're going to take a break and have much more on this historic day in the NBA next on First Things First. Back here in First Things First, Chris Broussard joining us now. Late yesterday afternoon, the NBA and the Players Association announcing the Bucks' decision not to take the floor, not to play in response to the shooting of Jacob Blake by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin. All of yesterday's scheduled games were then postponed. A short time later, NBA players gathered in the bubble to discuss the question on everyone's mind. What now? It was reported that during this meeting, the players from the Lakers and the Clippers voted to boycott the <coughs> remainder of the NBA season. But only those two teams, uh, LeBron pleading for owners to get more involved and to take action. Chris Broussard, I'll start with you. What was your reaction to how this day played out? Well, I've never been more proud of black athletes in my adult life um, and the white athletes who supported them. I have longed for the day, uh, looking at the inequalities that face African-Americans, I've longed for the day when athletes would use their power and their position on behalf of the masses of black people. And I think that was what was done yesterday. That was what was attempted to be done yesterday. So I have nothing but praise and respect for what these players did. They they're willing to sacrifice, it appears, uh, their livelihoods, hundreds of thousands of dollars, perhaps millions of dollars on some people, players' parts, for change in this country, not so much on their behalf, but on the behalf of the African-American community as a whole. And I think any American, regardless of race, regardless of your political stance, should be able to respect when you see people in a privileged position being willing to sacrifice some of their privilege for others who don't have that, their same privileges. So I, I give love to the players. Now, there's been a lot of talk about a plan. I like the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks were on the phone yesterday with Wisconsin legislators, the attorney general, the lieutenant governor, and they were given action steps by those legislators to hold people at every level of government accountable and they found out that the legislator legislature hadn't even met in months and so they want to hold those people accountable i also like the fact that lebron james is saying let's get the owners involved and hold them accountable i hope the players are recognizing that these wealthy owners have major reach within society they can reach out to lawmakers 
politicians, police commissioners and chiefs and get things done. We saw it in the case of Robert Kraft. Black entertainers and athletes have been trying for months to get Meek Mill, the rapper, out of prison. Robert Kraft goes and visits him, and two weeks later, Meek Mill is out. These, they have major reach, and I think that's maybe what LeBron James is talking about. Use your connections and your power on behalf of the black lives that you say matter. So I, I like that as well. And, and I'm going to say this too. Even if there isn't a well-thought-out plan, I still respect these athletes for saying, we are not going to entertain you, meaning white America for the most part, anymore without being fully respected as fellow and equal human beings. There is a long history in this country of blacks entertaining whites, whether it's through singing, dancing, foot races, boxing, wrestling, dating all the way back to slavery. So clearly whites can enjoy African-Americans' various talents and gifts and enjoy us entertaining them without respecting us. And I believe that's what these athletes are seeing. They may not be able to put it in the historical terms that I did, but they are saying enough, no more status quo. We will not be entertainers without being respected as human beings. Look, did Muhammad Ali have a plan? No. Muhammad Ali just stood on his convictions. And there were times when even if you don't have a plan, you need to stand up like a man and demand respect on your behalf and behalf of your people. And that's what these athletes are doing. So much respect to them from me. Yeah, Chris, I mean, I can only imagine what these guys are feeling. You know, if you're not in the moment and you're not on that court, it's hard to feel that pressure. Now, I get a sense that some some players may feel guilty for playing while black people are being gunned down in the streets by police. I think about I think about just leadership in this moment. I think about the Todd Bowles of the world making quick decisions in the, the hard decisions fast. I think about Popovich leading with his heart. I think about Coach K actually embracing the uncomfortable. Like, I think about that. Why is it, Chris, that these players have to carry this weight? I don't get it. I don't understand when this is a, 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 our country's problem. President Trump needs to stand up. President Trump, tweet us. President Trump, lock arms with us. President Trump, march with us. The great leaders in any sport, in any business, in government, in, po in politics, stand with the people. Now, I'm not trying to make this into a political thing. It comes down to just fundamentals. I don't care about right or wrong. I don't care about who did what, who said what. I don't care about anybody's agenda. But when you're put in a position of power and you're called to lead, you need to lead. Where are you? Now, this is a phenomenal job by the NBA players, and you also have to uh, highlight the WNB players of showing what being responsible with your platform is. Phenomenal job. But this is not their only job. It shouldn't even be their job. When we have the most powerful country in the world, we have a president who is more than capable to help. So for me, I think about sports and, and this reflection of sports being this microcosm and a, re a reflection on society. So if, if society is broken, Chris, then sports should be broken as well.
and I'll, ahead, and, I, and I'll take it in a, in a slightly different direction in this regard. I, Broussard, you alluded to some of the most powerful people in the world are sports owners. We, we talked about that earlier. I mean, the owner of the Magic is related to the Secretary of Education. The owner of the Nuggets is a Walton heir. Tillman Fertitta hangs out with the president regularly. Like, they, So obviously, the players, I think, in part here are trying to press on the owners to use those leverages of power. But I also think part of this, and this is where I found myself the last few days, a part of this is just something of feeling broken and so beaten down that you just, at least for a moment, need to stop everything. Because what I, I do not believe it was simply Jacob Blake being shot seven times in his back. I think it has some of the players are reacting to the reaction to that from the general public, many of whom call themselves NBA fans, which is that we are seeing once again, there is a not small segment of America that will always be able to justify any use of force against any black person. Go back when Tamir Rice was carrying a toy gun in an open carry state as a 12-year-old boy. And within two seconds of police arriving, he was shot down in the street, and then they cuffed his mom and sister when they ran over to help. And folks justified it. it, it the, Trayvon Martin, when he is followed and accosted by a would-be vigilante who disobeys the orders from the 911 dispatcher, starts a fight with him, and then starts losing the fight and kills him, People found a way to not only justify what George Zimmerman did, but in some circles turn him into a cult hero where he's signing autographs. John Crawford is in an open carry state. In Ohio, walking around in, in Walmart, picks up a, a BB gun Walmart's selling. And within seconds of arriving, police kill him. And it's justified. Just recently, Ahmaud Arbery is stalked and murdered by a former cop and his family. And all of a sudden, we find out, we find surveillance footage. And, and, and it was like, well, what happened there was bad, but George Floyd, we thought that's gonna be unjustifiable. Give it three weeks. And all of a sudden, folks are equivocating there. And it's already happening with Jacob Blake. I don't give a good damn what his criminal record was. And the, oh, he had a knife in his car. We got 340 million guns in this country. He had a knife in his car, you put seven in his back. So the people who are making, who are justifying these murders or shootings, the NBA players see it. They're in their mentions, we know that. They, they, they interact with the public on the internet the way many of us do. And I think some of them are disgusted by it and sick of it. And to your point, Broussard, I think they recognize you love us as far as we entertain you. And at the moment we stop entertaining you, we stop having any value as people. And if something will happen to us, even on camera, you will almost blindly explain away why we deserved it, had it coming, should have complied, or some other equivocation. And, and I think for some of these guys, and for some of us, 
it's, it's become too much. And so I think they are trying to affect change, but I also think that for some guys, it's like, you know what? I can't anymore. That's what I think happened with Kenny Smith last night. I, I don't think he was trying mm -hmm. to affect change at TNT. I think he just said, I can't anymore. Yeah, and Nick, that's what I was gonna bring up. Broussard, I want your reaction from this. You've covered the league for a long time. I thought two of the most powerful moments yesterday were by media members and former players. The first being Kenny Smith, and the second being Chris Weber. Want to play the sound here, and Broussard, I want you to react to it on the other side. We know vote. We keep hearing vote. Everybody vote. But I'm here to speak for those that are always marginalized. Those that live in these neighborhoods where we preach and tell them to vote and walk away. Charles Barkley came to my high school. Just seeing him in the locker room, seeing his hands and his body, that inspired me. You can't see something. You can't be something until you see it. And when I tell you the little kids that have called me upset, I have a godson that has autism and I just had to explain to him why we aren't playing. I have young nephews that I've had to talk to about death before they've even seen it in a movie. If not now, when? If not during a pandemic <laughs> and countless lives being lost, if not now, when? That's, that's all I just want to hear from the rest of the night while everybody's pontificating and thinking and soapboxing and all of that. We know nothing is going to change. We get it. If Martin Luther King got shot and risked his life, Mega Evers, if we've seen this and all of our heroes constantly taken down, we understand it's not going to end. But that does not mean, young men, that you don't do anything. Don't listen to these people telling you don't do anything because it's not going to end right away. You are starting something for the next generation and the next generation to take over. Do you have to be smart? Yes. Do you have to make sure that you have a plan? Yes. Do you have to be articulate about that plan? Yes. All of those things. But that's what you're going to do. They're professionals. They know how to be the best of themselves. And so I applaud it. I applaud it because it is the young people. It is the young people leading the way. And I applaud them. When I watch uh, Chris Weber right there, especially in the beginning uh, of what he was saying, what came to my mind was what Charles Barkley has often said. It is exhausting being black. And I think you, you saw it with Doc Rivers the other night. You saw it just now with Chris Weber. I think that's what you saw kind of with Kenny Smith walking off the set. And a lot of America, particularly white Americans who may not interact with a lot of African-Americans, um, they just see superstar, incredibly talented athletes and wealthy athletes because of their athletic ability. And they think everything is great. And yet many of these athletes, we know a few in the league, Sterling Brown and Thabo Cephalosha, have, have been victims of police brutality. And many of them have been stopped. I, I've been with an, I was with an athlete once myself, black athlete, and we were stopped in Beverly Hills in, in his car for no reason. And this still happens to many African-Americans and many of these professional athletes. And I just think that is what you kind of see when, what, what you just saw in Chris Weber, which was uh, 
really, you could just see how emotional he was. And um, I think that is what they are saying. This is exhausting and we are tired of it. And bringing it back to the players, that these players can take a moment at a critical juncture in the playoffs and say, don't watch me in here. Watch Watch what's happening in Kenosha. Don't watch us play here. Watch what's happening and talk about what's happening at every other city that's hurting right now in the country. When does that happen? You see it starting to happen right now. All right, we're going to take a break. Have much more on the Bucks' decision to boycott their game yesterday in response to the police shooting of Jacob Blake. Jim Jackson, who is getting ready to call the Bucks game before the boycott took place, joins us from Orlando next on First Things First. Back here on First Things First, we're here with FS1 NBA analyst Jim Jackson. Jim, thanks for being with us. You were there on the floor. You were all set to call the Bucks Magic game when all of this went down. Take us through what happened from your perspective. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, it was it was one of those days. I mean, it was business as usual um, kind of early on. We usually just have a 10 a.m. production meeting, you know, with uh, uh, a lot of the production crew producers, uh, on-air talent, and nothing really different you know a little bit later we had a conference call at 11 o'clock with mike Budenholzer, kind of talking about the game plan and adjustments kind of what we normally do and typically right around i don't know depending on what the next coach has to do as far as the zoom interview we get over to our you know where the arena is at but then we have a green room that's all set up where the all the production crews and trucks are at and we had a two o'clock call um with steve clifford to kind of discuss the same thing about the game now, as we got closer to about three o'clock to go to head over to the arena where we were calling a game, we had a 315 hit on NBA TV. And we heard some rumblings that maybe Toronto, the Toronto Raptors were thinking about, you know, maybe boycotting and not playing. But it, it really didn't have a lot of meat to it because we were just trying to figure things out. But when we get to the arena, you know, the Orlando Magic players are out on the court. <laughs> kind of going through their pregame routine. You saw some Milwaukee Bucks players, a couple coaches. Uh, as they were going, Giannis was out there. So, you know, we were we, – we really didn't put a lot of credence to what we heard in regards to Toronto Raptors, but we did see something in particular where an NBA official from the office kind of pulled the official crew, the referee crew, to the side and kind of talked to them on the side, somewhat near half court, which was kind of odd. But we still didn't put things together. And as the game clock continued to wind down and Orlando went in the locker room for their last meeting, they came back out, started their pregame warm-up. We noticed that the Milwaukee Bucks haven't done the same thing. And as time continued to elapse and the shot clock eventually got down to zero, 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 the, you know, the buzzer went off, no Milwaukee Bucks. And at that point, we got word uh, from inside the locker room that the Bucks had chose to boycott uh, the game and then later had, had spoken with the Orlando Magic so they would do the same. So it was, you know, it wasn't like you had a lot of signs that gave you an indication that this was going down, that this was going to happen. Right. I think the surprise element is kind of what maybe they wanted. I think the conversation had started uh, the night before. And from there, it kind of just fed into what we, as a result, what we saw uh, that afternoon and then later that evening with the remaining teams that were scheduled to play. Jimmy, 
I gotta ask you a personal question. How are you doing? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I'm blessed, Nick. I'm blessed with the opportunity throughout the pandemic and what we've been, what America has been going through, to still be able to provide for my family, which a lot of people don't. So I always try to keep that in perspective, okay? Because you know, a lot of people can complain in, in our position about things that are not right, but at the same time, we have the wherewithal to to try to continue to live a um, a normal life compared to people who have lost their jobs, compared to people who lost their businesses. They don't know what's going to happen the next uh, hour, let alone the next day, how they're going to take their, care of their family. But personally, I'm, I'm torn because I have a older son who's 27 years old. I have a young son who's two years old. And I think about a lot of the things that have happened, not only currently in our history in the United States, but the things that have transpired in the past that have kind of led us to this boiling point we're at. And you you really have to understand history, not only history of, American, of America, but of the world, to, to, to kind of get a grasp around why we're here where we're at in regards to race relations. And I try to t- I talk to my son, my older one, all the time about understanding your place to in where you're at as, as a young African-American man. And we have these deep conversations about expectations, about rules, um, about how you're viewed. Um, I think education is a, a, a big part of how you can navigate through life. So, um, Nick, right now, man, I'm just I'm in a, I'm proud of the NBA players for taking a stance. Very proud of it. And, and I can't wait to see what the next step is. Jim. You're from Toledo, Ohio, played 14 Mm -hmm. years in the NBA, been super successful. I've always said that this is counterculture to the athlete to not play ball because we use Mm -hmm. the court, we use the field as our escape. I used to call the football field Mm -hmm. my sanctuary. So how significant is this for the player not to play? Well, it's significant from this perspective is that a lot of times with players in this situation, it's tough to get a majority rule where you agree on something, whether that's in the NFL with a strike, NBA with a lockout, baseball with a strike, because a lot of people have different agendas. A lot of people have different uh, um, you know, issues that they may have to deal with. They have a different thoughts and perspectives. But right here, especially in the NBA and as a basketball player, we're, we're asking for, um, you know, things to happen in the United States in regards to racial equality. We're asking for it. Um, we kind of put our voices behind it, the basketball players, put our money behind it. But yet action is still not taking place. And at some point, is it the game of basketball or is it the game of life? Are we going to stand on our principles and talk about what's important and still go play a game? and try to let someone else in a position that we think have power to try to help affect change. And what the players were able to do, um, you know, with the boycott is send the message that the game of basketball is secondary to the game of life. And within that, Brandon, you understand this. We go through a lot of ridicule as athletes. Now I'm a broadcaster. Well, you know, you made the money. America has been great to you. Yes, that that's true. 
But that doesn't discount the fact of what me as a black man have been through through the course of my life that has shaped and formed my opinions on what's going on in America. Me as a black man, yes, I've been able to make it out my neighborhood. I've been able to make significant amount of money. But if I, as a successful black man, do not give back to my community, if I, as a successful black man, don't listen to the streets and understand what's going on and try to be a voice and try to help, then what's the purpose? Because the game of basketball is going to come and go. Somebody else is going to wear that jersey, okay? But if I can help affect change, and that's what these young men are doing right now in the NBA and across sports, if I can do that, then I'm giving something more than just entertainment. I'm adding value to someone's life. I'm giving a voice to those like Chris um, Weber talked about that are marginalized because we do have a platform and I do think it's upon us to use. Not everybody can do it, and, and I get it, but those that can should lend their voice, and that's what we're seeing. Jim, thanks for joining us. You, you've been excellent. I, I have one more question. Do you think it's appropriate for this season to continue? Well, that's it. And personally, I, from this back up from the beginning, when the bubble first took place and it, and it was an announcement about what was going on and the conversation was, will it distract and take away from the movement, distract, take away from the message uh, of racial equality, um, social justice. And I thought that the bubble was a great opportunity for the players to be able to have the platform to continue the narrative uh, and and push their notion or their um, um, narrative of social justice and what they needed to do because you're at practice. Cameras in front of you. After games, the cameras in front of you. Private interviews. The messaging was always there. was always out front. Right now with this move, and again, the players had a meeting last night. The Board of Governors have a meeting later this morning. The players sent demands that they want to see with the ownership um, to have more input, in, in particular in their communities, as it relates to you know racial discrimination, social justice. And I think from there, we'll see what happens. But um, if the players begin to have a plan and say, listen, the game is not important, I'm going to ride with the players. I, I really am. Because... Right now is a critical juncture, I think, in our history, especially with the election coming up, that a lot of changes, not just on the books, but mentally need to be made. Jim, this is really great. Uh, stick around. We got to take a break. We're going to have much more with Jim Jackson on the other side. This is First Things First. We'll be right back. Back here, first things first, with FS1 NBA analyst Jim Jackson. Jim, thanks for being with us. Players are scheduled to meet again this morning, and the NBA's Board of Governors also scheduled a special meeting for this morning. Lakers owner Jeannie Buss had this to say. I was excited to see us play and hopefully close out our series tonight, but I stand behind our players today and always. After more than 400 years of cruelty, racism, and injustice, we all need to work together to say enough is enough. Hashtag justice for Jacob Blake. Hashtag we hear you. And the Shams News from late last night reporting that every team besides the Lakers and Clippers did indeed vote to keep playing the remainder 
of the playoffs. LeBron saying in the meeting he wants owners to step up more. So, Jim, let me start there. What was your reaction to report that LeBron James wants owners to be more involved, to take more action uh, moving forward? Well, it's called accountability. And, and I'm, and I'm going to go back to this. Listen, and I said this yesterday, it's always the right time to do the right thing. What bothered me a lot about these corporations, especially during the corona, um, and then um, because of the pandemic, a lot of corporations now jumped on uh, the bandwagon, so to speak, in regards to social justice and racial discrimination, began to give money, began to, uh, you know, advertise and do advertise, I mean, ads, um, social justice issues. But to me, the same issues that plagued this country were there five years ago, six years ago. The time to be courageous was when it wasn't popular. Right now, a lot of people jumped on board and said, hey, we want to donate to HBCUs. Well, HBCUs been in the same predicament for years. They've been asking for some kind of assistance, but never have really gotten it from the majority of big American companies. But now they've gotten it. See, history teaches us, and this is the thing that I love LeBron about and, some, and, and other players who have stepped up in this position. We as athletes are looked at as just play your sport and dribble, shoot, pass, hit, hit a baseball. But history teaches us that no matter what kind of laws that we pass, whether it's 1866 Civil Rights Act, okay, after Reconstruction, the 14th Amendment, 15th Amendment, Fair Housing Act of 1868, Civil Rights Act, all these laws got put into pen to paper for racial segregation. You have to tell somebody that it's not right to discriminate against someone of a different color. You have to tell someone that voter suppression is not right. You have to tell someone that uh, discrimination uh, in the public worst workplace is not right. See, what it tends to lead to is the thought process of how you view people. See, because you can have all the laws you want in the world, but if your view, what you're looking through through your lenses still sees a second-class citizen with a person that's not your color, the laws don't mean a thing. And before we can change anything else, we have to change the mentality or just the mentality of the people in power who still view the minorities as second-class citizens. And here's what's so crushing about this. NBA players are not asking for the end of systemic racism, for the fix of what is the greatest ale of America. They are not asking for anything more than the barest of minimums, which is for the folks who are literally paid to protect communities, not in many instances terrorize those communities, and then post-terrorization have no consequences whatsoever. That's what they are asked. That's what Cap was kneeling about when he first took a seat four years ago to yesterday. And that is what this movement is about. That's what Black Lives Matter is about. I don't care that there has been a narrative shift from charlatans saying, actually, it's about Marxism and the end of the nuclear fan. No, it's not. It's about can we have enough accountability to where Black people's lives matter. And Wilds, I thought Doc Rivers in the press conference that we played said something that is a hot button issue, but he's right about. Here's something the owners can do right now. Use their political leverage to break the police unions. 
I now let me say this. I am the son of a 35-year-old firefighter union president. There are pictures of me as a little boy on picket lines. I am union through and through. But there is a toxicity surrounding the power these police unions hold over the good cops, the local politicians, and the, the mayors of cities. And if you don't think a union can be broken, ask the air traffic controllers. It can be done if enough powerful people want it to be done. If you want actual re police reform, that's where it starts. And Doc Rivers knows it, which is why he commented on it. And the players know that, listen, LeBron can do more than a vote and guys can do individual things. But something like that takes the power brokers of the world, of which many are NBA owners, to actually get behind. And to me, I think that is what a lot of this is about, Wilds. So, Nick, that was well said. I was watching D-Ray yesterday on CNN, and that's exactly what he said. It, it was about repealing the Officer Bill of Rights, which happens in 20 states that blocks a lot of accountability and police unions that block accountability. Um, Jimmy, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, 1959, Elgin Baylor boycotted a game. 1961, mm -hmm. Bill Russell and some of the Celtics boycotted a game. You played... That was before your time, then you played, and, and now you're, you've got literally a front row seat here. Can you put this moment in a historic uh, perspective for us? You know, I can because it's a boiling point. And if you look back to those turbulent times, especially the 60s, that a lot of confluence of things came together, which led to the boycott, you know, that you just mentioned, okay? Because America was in turmoil in regards to race relations. What we've seen over the last 15, 20 years in regards to race relations, you, you would think that it would, it would have gotten better, but it's actually gotten kind of worse and more segregated in regards to the thought processes. Historical perspective, because one, the bubble was historical in itself in regards to the restart of the NBA season and the platform that it was on. Second, for the Milwaukee Bucks to initiate this boycott was, I thought, calculated, well calculated and historical. And also the context with that, too, the Milwaukee Bucks, and to your point, Nick, using the leverage of the owner, was able to have a conversation with the owners who got in touch with the attorney general of Wisconsin and also the district attorney uh, of Kenosha County to address the issues of the shooting. And that's where the having the ownership that have the power, that have the resource, that have the connections to be able to tap into those and have a deep conversation in regard to what to what needs to happen next. So um, historical, yes, in the context of what's going on, where we go from here, I think we'll add to that history uh, with the actions of the players moving forward. Jim, I always uh, think that we should pay homage to the people who came before us as athletes. We always did that in the locker room. Man, thank you so much mm -hmm. for paving the way, right? So you go back to 2016 when Colin Kaepernick took his first knee and, and really started the conversation around the second wave of the civil rights movement. So we got to say great job to Cap right now. The WNBA, mm -hmm. there's so many players that's doing a phenomenal job. And, and, and we can possibly say they're the ones that are having the, the discussions more around social injustice. So WNBA, great job. 
Dom Smith, I mean, I felt so bad for the guy sitting there by himself taking the knee yesterday. And then after the game, you know, you're seeing his tears. Like, Dom Smith, man, stay strong. Naomi, she was the first person in tennis to actually say, I'm not playing. There's bigger issues. We have to show love to her. And then they wanted to follow him saying, we're going to postpone everything. I say that to say mm-hmm. this, the fo- football, my football community, the precedent has been set. We've been saying enough is enough for years. And it's only been words, and you said this earlier, Jim. Now we're seeing the NBA finally put action to those words. I am, if I'm an owner, if I'm a, a coach, if I'm a player, like right now I'm taking notes and figuring out, like, okay, when this happens again, because it will, statistics show that this is going to continue to happen. It may happen t- today, tomorrow. What are we going to do in the football community? Now, I want to say, Roger Cadell, great job. Great job. Like, I don't know what the motives was and the intentions was in 2016, 2017. But where you've been the last six months, stay right there. We need more help. To the owners out there, we, Jerry Jones, where are you? We, there's 320 million Americans. 100 million are avid football fans. Phenomenal job by the NBA. But our platform, I would say, is even bigger. So we have two weeks to kick off. Get a plan in place. Players, come together. Don't be divided like we were in 2016. Do exactly what LeBron James, CP3, Paul George, and all these guys in Kauai are doing now. How they're, It's the same message. It's the same voice. We have an opportunity to use our platform to do something even more amazing than you guys are already doing. So have a plan in place. All right, well, we saw actionable solidarity last night from the players. We will wait and see if we see it again tonight with the lineup. Jim Jackson, thanks so much for being with us. This story is far from over. We are going to take a break. Much more for Things First right after this. Back here with Chris Broussard as we continue to discuss the fallout from the NBA's players' decision to boycott last night's games in response to the Jacob Blake shooting in Wisconsin. It wasn't just the NBA making a statement, though, last night. Mets left fielder Dom Smith taking a knee during last night's national anthem. After the game, he addressed what the last couple of months have been like for him. Take a listen. Um... I mean, I think the most difficult part is to see, like, people still don't care. And for for this, it's continuously happened. I mean, it just shows um, just the hate in people's heart. And, I mean, I mean, that, that just sucks, you know? And being a black man in America, it's, it's not easy. So, I mean, like I said, you know, I, I just, I wasn't there today, but I'll, I'll bounce back. I'll be fine. Brandon, what do you make of Dom Smith's clearly raw, raw emotion there? The thing that jumps out to me, Jenna, uh, was the last part of his statement where he said, I'm going to bounce back. I'm going to be all right. And I'll continue to go back to 2016 because I remember, and if I'm being honest, I I remember feeling numb because 
We've been talking about this for years. In our neighborhoods, we see this over and over and over again. So when Kaepernick took this knee, I was like, what is he talking about? Duh, everyone understands this. But we're built in a way to continue to push forward, to continue to throw the ball, to catch the ball, to shoot the ball, to hit the tennis ball. Like we're cont- That's how athletes are trained. So when I see Dom be so emotional, but then end with, I'll be okay. No, it's time for us to not be okay. It's time for us to actually cry. It's time for us to feel something. If, I'm, if I continue to be completely honest, the first time I felt anything was actually this year with their recent killings through 2020. Because I've been so conditioned from where I come from, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the poorest county in all of Pennsylvania, where there was one white family, I was conditioned to just move forward, to survive. And then I moved to Seminole County where Trayvon Martin's life was uh, abruptly cut from him. And I saw a different way of life. And it was still the same mentality to move forward. So when I see Dom, I just think that we need to use that as an example to show people that it's okay to cry. It's okay to not be okay. So that's what I see, Jenna. Yeah, I'd say, Brandon, too, I think there's probably a lot of things going through his mind. One is that a lot of these athletes could see themselves in the black men that are getting shot down. Um, and knowing that if they weren't some professional athlete, and even some cases, even still, they are athletes, but that that could easily be them if the policeman doesn't recognize, oh, this is so-and-so that plays for the Mets or so-and-so that plays for the 76ers or, or whatever it may be. I think also, as he said, and Nick alluded to earlier in the show, the lack of sympathy on the part of a large segment of society is just incredible. Every time one of these black men is gunned down, there's this all of a sudden talk about his record or what he may have been doing. The feeling is that you, if you are not the perfect human being, if you're black, then we don't need you. Then it's justified to get rid of you because you weren't perfect, because you made a misstep And white people make missteps, the same missteps all of the time. I could talk about Robert Kraft's record down in Florida now. We could talk about, I don't want to get political, but the president of the United States is on record talking about sexual harassment. And nobody brings that up. They brush that off. But when it's black people getting killed, then it's all about, well, you know, he had done this and he had done that. And that eats brothers up. And I tell you this, too, no matter how successful you are in America as a black man, there is always this feeling that your country is against you. There's this constant tension that you got a great life. You make a lot of money. Maybe you're even famous. You're successful. You got a nice car, nice home. But there's still this tension that your country's against you. So when you son, when you see the cops, You have to behave this way. Don't talk back. Don't say anything. You know, oh, you got to be twice as good to get ahead. You're going to hear people say things about you, this about you, that about you. You're going to see things on television and all of that 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 upset you. In our own country, we still feel like it's against us to a large degree. 
And I think all of those things, feelings are conspiring into why you're seeing so many African-American men crying. And I would Chris. say to white America, a lot of who don't experience the things these brothers have experienced, and they think they can't even fathom having that type of adversarial relationship with police officers. Just Chris, listen. Chris, if you really care, listen to these guys. Chris, you're talking about the black experience. And I think that's the most powerful thing that has happened over the last three months since racial tensions been soaring, the black experience. And it's different. Not all black people are, are poor. Not all black people are from the hood. Not all black people deal with the same things. But listening to the, the experience is, is where we need to continue to, to live. In this very room where, where Fox set up this studio, I had to fight to get in here. So I'm moving from one place in South Florida, Southwest Ranch into Western Florida, a most affluent area in all the South of South Florida, gated community. I'm rushing to my new house because I got everybody at Fox telling me, Brandon, we need to set up. We want you on tomorrow at 7.30. I get to my gate. The doorman, he, he says, hey, do you live here? I say, sir, yes. I, I've been here three times. You let me in, you know, three or four times while, you know, I was looking to see which house I wanted to, to, to take. Um, so you, you know me. Uh, we closed on the house today. Uh, I don't have my keys. I'm just, you know, can you please let me in? I, I got to put my studio together. And then this guy says, well, no, you're not on the list. I say, God, I say, sir, can you call the people at the desk and tell them that Brandon Marshall is standing here? I just closed today. He says, sir, no, I can't help you. So now I'm getting frustrated. I said, sir, can you please help me? He closed the door. Soon as I opened my door to get out of my truck, he called the police. The police came and I was furious. My kids, Z, Ziggy and Zoe were in the back seat. I'm looking, I'm almost in tears. You talk about these black men with, and having these experiences and seeing themselves in it. Like, I just lived that. I got this video of me showing, like, telling, like, this is what we're talking about in America. You guys know me. You see me come here three to four times, three to four times looking at this house. I just closed on this house. Can't, you won't even help me. But what you do is you call the cops. What do you think is going to happen when the cops come? The police come and they say the same thing. So these black experiences are real. And I think it's not a, a matter of people don't want to don't want to have the discussion It's more. So they don't think that it's real because they're it's like, they man, these care. are just big, audacious stories. They it's like, care. no, this is real. This is really happening. If I may add quickly, um, I've heard and I've talked with white friends, you know, over these last few months and heard them say, you know, I, I used to not even think about color and, and race, and now I'm thinking about it every day, and, and I see, you know, I'm seeing color everywhere. As you said, Brandon, welcome to the black experience. I honestly believe this. Obviously, I can't fact check it, but I honestly believe this. There has not been a day in my life that I've not thought, thought about race in some way, shape, or form. Every single day, race has been on my mind. That is what it's like to be black. And now whites are being somewhat exposed to this black experience, somewhat, as you said, Brandon. And hopefully they'll listen, understand, and we can start moving forward and make change. I have a, a humble and, and profound sense of uh, appreciation for what... Um, 
Dom shared um, on the podium, the Mets podium, and Brandon and Chris, what, what you just said, I think, um, and Nick, we t we've talked about this on the show of, as a, as a white man in America, my job is to listen, um, and I think, and express appreciation for everyone that is sharing painful and, and profound thoughts, Nick. And, and Kevin, that's because you have the gift of empathy that unfortunately so many people don't have. And I obviously don't know the lived experience of Brandon or Chris. I'm also a white man in America. But I have a somewhat unique perspective because I've raised a black son. And I just, and this is the Dom Smith, if you were watching the very beginning of the show, I almost started the show crying. Because the Dom Smith thing guts me. Because I'm gonna, I'll be, try to be as quick as I can here. It's 2015, or 2016, pardon me, I'm living in Houston, Texas, and I get a handwritten death threat to my house, ostensibly because these takes have always made so many people so angry. And I call my bosses at CBS, and they say, you have to call the police. So I call the police, the police come over, and they take it seriously. And the police are so nice, and they say, listen, we're gonna take it, we're gonna fingerprint it, but we're also going to send patrols by your house. And I say, thank you, and they leave. And I go inside, and I am just gripped with fear. Because at the time, I have, it's 2016, so I have an 18-year-old, six-foot-two-inch black son who's in high school, who's always over at the house with his friends, and I say, I, I just signed up for the cops to come by this house. That is a tax that black families and black people have to deal with that most white families never consider. Go forward, six months after that, my son calls me. He's at Whataburger, five minutes from our house, panicked. I don't know what to do, what happened? This, he's there with his friends. This lady came in, she accused us of breaking into her car. We've just been sitting here. She said she's calling the cops. Should we leave? I don't know what to tell him. Do you leave and then flee? and pretend, Or do you stay and have a guaranteed interaction with the police? Smash cut three months later. I've moved. I'm in L.A. I'm commuting back and forth. My son calls me on a Saturday morning. Says, Mom's mad at me because I was so late last night. I haven't told her what happened. I think she'd be scared. What happened? She was walking through our neighborhood, home from his great friend Lucas's house. Sheriff's deputy comes by, fits the description, home invasion suspect. He's on the curb with five cars come up, five big giant sheriff's SUVs running his name. Where do you live? Why don't you have ID? Because he's a damn kid. And that, so he, he, I don't care the folks that try to manipulate the statistics and say, well, actually, your odds of being killed by the police are... It, that's not what it is. Either you have empathy and the ability to understand that for black Americans, that is the tax they have to pay every day. That their kids don't get to be full-blown kids once they're eight, nine years old. Tamir Rice was 12, can't play with those toys no more. That you've got to tell your sons and daughters, but particularly your sons, teach them 10 and 2, yes sir, no sir, doesn't. You, you, in theory, you have constitutional rights, but those only exist once you get home. 
in the face of an interaction with the police, you get yourself out of there as quickly as possibly. You call, you call me, you do what you can. And it's just so goddamn scary. And I just, I, I, and I'm a, I'm a well-to-do white guy. And it's just so frustrating that people don't see it. And they don't care. And even when they see it, when Jacob Blake gets shot seven times in the back, people will go online and explain why, well, maybe he had it coming or maybe he wasn't that good of a guy. And so I just, I can't, I, I appreciate the NBA trying to bring this to the forefront, but it's just too much. That's all, Jim. Nick, thank you for just sharing that. that. Brandon, you as well, those stories need to be told, need to be heard. It is a heavy conversation, it is one that we will continue to have. Uh, Chris Broussard, thanks for being with us this morning. We're going to take a break. We will have much more uh, back in the NBA on the other side, but this is First Things First. Back here in First Things First, we have a few minutes left here in the show. We continue to discuss the NBA postponing their entire schedule yesterday. I want to get some final thoughts. Brandon, I'll start with you. Where's your head right now as you look to today and the days moving forward? Listen, I just think about being in a locker room and, you know, sports is, is, is amazing because you learn so many life skills. And one of the things that I picked up by just being around great leaders were, you know, we always need to end the day on a good note. Like, life is hard right now. Racial tension is soaring. We're in a global pandemic. So uh, I want to end our show on a, on a higher note because people uh, following us will continue this conversation. So, Nick, Nick, my brother, I appreciate you sharing your yes, story. Sir. And uh, so empower it's, it's so impactful. But you know you're going to be a national meme now. You know that. <laughs> The Nick, the Nick, the Nick Wright meme, the, the, the crying, crying on Nick national face. television, the crying Nick face, the crying. I will. I feel like oh, you're okay with Brandon, that, buddy. That, I, well, that is, you know what Brandon said during the break. He's like, I'm gonna make you guys smile and laugh in the last 90 seconds of the show. And I, Wilds, I was thinking that's an impossibility. Like, there's no chance that yeah. that's actually gonna happen. And Brandon, I think you pulled it off. And you're right. Listen, I will. Uh, the that meme is going to exist. Wilds, I'll finally have something in common with the second greatest basketball player ever, Michael Jordan. So that's good <laughs> <Okay>. too. <laughs> I mean, I can't. Wilds is going to look like Go this. Ahead, Wilds. Wilds. <laughs> uh, Don't do him like that. Wilds, some final thoughts. Um, look, I started. I'll, I'll end the show how I started the show. That Bill Russell tweeted out: "Keep getting into good trouble." In the words of John Lewis, and I think that the players and everyone around the sports world is on the right side of history. Three games on the Great schedule tonight. Today, no word yet on this. whether they take place. We will have uh, much more on that tomorrow morning. A very emotional day all around. Nick, Brandon, Kevin, thank you for sharing your stories. It was a lot. Have a good day, everyone. Stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow.